Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray that you're well. We are wonderful here in Beloit. <clears throat> it's drizzling, but such such a beautiful little town. Um, I invite all of you to come to Beloit. Of course, the town won't hold you all, but come anyway. We'll have a good time. And we'll love God together. And we'll praise Him. And we will live in our holy, holy faith. How privileged we are. I apologize for not being with you live yesterday. We had an encore, um, but I am live with you today. And what I'd love to do is continue um, our last chapter of Archbishop Fulton Sheen's Victory Over Vice, published by Sophia Press. And those of you who have been following know that um, Archbishop Fulton Sheen uh, noted that it was the seven deadly sins that put our Lord on the cross. And so what he has done is match his seven last words, each word, to a deadly sin, uh, to a vice, and shown us how to get victory over that vice. We are now on the last word, the seventh word of the cross. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I don't know if it's well known, but um, when our Lord um, said from the Old Testament Psalms, um, that was just as we say as children, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Um, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord that my soul to take. And this was, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, the prayer of a young Jewish boy under the old covenant and he said that prayer when he went to bed every night and he said it on the cross his last words father into thy hands i commend my spirit and what would you think the seventh deadly sin is matt that archbishop fulton sheen matched to that word it's covetedness covetousness into thy hands i commend my spirit and the word is covetedness Covetousness, Archbishop Sheen says, is an inordinate love of the things of this world. It becomes inordinate if one is not guided by a reasonable end, such as a suitable provision for one's family or the future, or if one is too solicitous in amassing wealth or too parsimonious in dispensing it. <clears throat> The sin of covetousness includes, therefore, both the intention one has in acquiring the goods of this world and the manner of acquiring them. It is not the love of an excessive sum that makes it wrong, but an inordinate love of any sum. Simply because a man has a great fortune, it does not follow that he is a covetous man. A child with a few um, pennies 
might possibly be more covetous. Material things are lawful and necessary to enable us to live according to our station in life, to mitigate suffering, to advance the kingdom of God, and to save our souls. It is the pursuit of wealth as an end instead of a means to the above ends that makes a man covetous. In this class of the covetous are to be placed the young woman who marries a divorced man for his money, the public official who accepts a bribe, the capitalist who puts profits above human rights and needs, and the laborer who puts party power over the laborer's rights. Covetousness is much more general in the world today than we suspect. It was once, it once was monopolized by the avaricious rich. Now it is shared by the envious poor. Because a man has no money in his pockets is no proof that he is not covetous. He may be involuntarily poor with a passion for wealth far in excess of those who possess. History bears witness to the fact that almost every radical economic revolutionist in history has been interested in only one thing, booty. The only poor people who ever attacked the rich and sought nothing for themselves were our Lord and his followers, like St. Francis of Assisi. There are very few disinterested lovers of the poor. Today, most of their so-called champions do not love the poor as much as they hate the rich. They hate all the rich, but they love only those poor who will help them attain their wicked ends. Such covetousness is ruinous for man, principally because it hardens the heart. Man becomes like unto that which he loves. And if he loves gold, he becomes like it, cold, hard, and yellow. The more he acquires, the more he suffers at surrendering even the least of it, just as it hurts to have a single hair pulled out even though your head is full of them. The more the sinfully rich man gets, the more he believes he is needy. He is always poor in his own eyes. The sense of the spiritual thus becomes so deadened that its most precious treasures are bartered away for the trivial increases as Judas sold his master for 30 pieces of silver. As St. Paul tells us, the desire for money is the root of all evils, which some coveting have erred from the faith. The providence of God becomes less and less a reality, and if it still retains value, it is reduced to a secondary role. God is trusted as long as we have a good bank account. When things go well, we are quite willing to dispense with God. Like the young man in the gospel who came to our Lord only because he was being deprived of some of his father's estate. Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. 
It was only when economic confusion arose that the young man had recourse to the divine. There are many in the world today who think the only reason for existence of the church is to improve the economic order. And if they do not have their fill, they assail the church for failing. Well, indeed, might the church answer in the words of our Lord, O man, who hath appointed me judge and divider over you? To turn man's heart away from perishable things to the eternal values of the soul was one of the reasons for the Lord's visit to the earth. His teaching from the beginning was not only a warning against covetousness, but a plea for a greater trust in providence. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and do not steal. For where thy treasure is, there will thy heart be also. I say to you, therefore, these are our Lord's words now. I say to you, therefore, do not be anxious about your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall wear. Is not the life of more consequence than the food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky, how they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? Yet who among you, by anxious thought, is able to add a single span to his life. And why should you worry about clothing? Observe the field lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, in all his magnificence, was not arrayed like one of them. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which exists today and is thrown into the oven tomorrow, Will he not much rather clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not therefore worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the heathen seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his holiness. And all these things shall be given you besides. Do not then be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Quite enough for the day is its own trouble. That's from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. There's the music for our break, beloved. We'll continue with Bishop Sheen when we come back from the break. You are welcome to call in at any time with anything on your heart. Toll free, 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day. And we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a sustained life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustain life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations, thank you for helping to save the culture. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent from your diocese, our apostolate is listener supported. The Station of the Cross thanks our supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. Thank you for your continued support and may God bless you and your family. Be to Jesus. Hi, this is Joe McLean, host of the Catholic Drive Time Morning Show, joining you on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network each weekday morning at 7 a.m. We'll keep you informed and inspired with insightful guests and breaking news stories of the day. That's the Catholic Drive Time, weekday morning, 7 a.m. on the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio app. We'll see you then. May God love you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Hello, beloved family. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live. We're going to continue with Bishop Fulton Sheen's last chapter in the book, Victory Over Vice, and it corresponds to our Lord's last words on the cross, the seventh of the seven last words on the cross. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit and the vice to which Archbishop Sheen Um, connected that is the vice of covetousness which Archbishop Sheen describes as an inordinate love of the things of this world the things of this world and he says this as we continue the man who unduly loves riches is a fallen man because of a bad exchange he might have had heaven through his generosity and he has only the earth. He could have kept his soul, but he sold it for material things. Camels will pass through eyes of needles more easily than the covetous will pass through the gates of heaven. What an awful, sad, tragic sentence, huh? It was easy, of course, to condemn the rich. Our world is too full of those who are doing it now. But our economic revolutionists do it because they envy wealth 
not because they love poverty. It was not so with our divine Savior. He who condemned dives and the man who ordered bigger barns the very day he died and who thundered that no man could serve God in mammon lived his gospel. Not in a hospital or a home or a city, but in a stable in the fields did he bow entrance into the world he made. Not with money did he make money in the markets of exchange, but as a poor carpenter. He earned his living with the two most primitive instruments used, wood and hammer. During his three years of preaching, not even a roof could he claim as his own. The foxes have burrows and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has not a place where he may lay his head. Then, at his death, he had no wealth to leave. His mother he gave to John, his body to the tomb, his blood to the earth, his garments to his executioners. Absolutely dispossessed, he is still hated to give the lie to those who say religion is hated because of its possessions. Religion is hated because it is religion, and possessions are only the excuse and pretext for driving God from the earth. There was no quarreling about his will. There was no dispute about how his property would be divided. There was no lawsuit over the Lord of the universe. He had given up everything in reparation for covetousness, keeping only one thing for himself. That was not a thing, his spirit. With a loud cry, so powerful that it freed his soul from his flesh and bore witness to the fact that he was giving up his life and and not having it taken away, he said in farewell, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It rang out over the darkness and lost itself in the furthermost ends of the earth The world has made all kinds of noise since to drown it out. Most have busied themselves with nothing to shut out hearing it, but through the fog fog and darkness of cities and the silence of the night, that awful cry rings within the hearing of everyone who does not force himself to forget. And as we listen to it, we learn two lessons. The more ties we have to earth, the harder it will be for us to die. And we were never meant to be perfectly satisfied here below. In every friendship, hearts grow and entwine themselves together so that the two hearts seem to make only one heart with only a common thought. That is why separation is so painful. It is not so much two hearts separating, but one heart being torn asunder. When a man loves wealth inordinately, he and it grow together like a tree pushing itself in growth through the crevices of a rock. Death to such a man is a painful wrench because of his close identification with the material. He has everything to live for, nothing to die for. 
he becomes at death the most destitute and despoiled beggar in the universe, for he has nothing he can take with him. He discovers too late that he did not belong to himself, but to things, for wealth is a pitiless master. It would not allow him during life to think of anything else except increasing itself. Now he discovers too late that by consecrating himself to filling his barns, he was never free to save the only thing he could carry with him to eternity, his soul. In order to acquire a part, he lost the whole. He won a fraction of the earth. Now he will need only six feet of it. Like a giant tied down by 10,000 ropes to 10,000 stakes, he is no longer free to think about anything else than what he must leave. That is why death is so hard for the covetous rich. On the contrary, as the ties to earth become lessened, the easier is the separation. Where our treasure is, there is our heart also. If we have lived for God, then death is a liberation. Earth and its possessions are the cage that confines us, and death is the opening of its door, enabling our soul to wing its way to its beloved for which it had only lived and for which it only wanted to die. Our powers of dispossession are greater than our powers of possession. Our hands could never contain all the gold in the world, but we can wash our hands of its desire. We cannot own the world, but we can disown it. That is why the soul, with the vow of poverty, is more satisfied than the richest, covetous man in the world. For the latter has not yet all he wants, while the religious wants nothing. In a certain sense, the religious has all and is perfectly happy. Do you know, dear ones, that when one enters religious life, they own nothing? They may own still a bank account or houses or something until they take their vows, but they own nothing. If a woman comes in and she's given a cell and she rearranges the furniture in her cell and the prioress find, looks at it and says, what did you do? She said, well, I like this better. I said, but it's not yours. You, you don't go into someone else's house and rearrange what is not yours. You see, in religious life, even the bed you sleep in is not yours. Another sister will ask for a pencil, and the sister has no right to give it to her because the pencil is not hers. She owns nothing. That's why permission is needed for everything. And no fight, no ownership, no um, um, possessiveness ever springs up because we own absolutely nothing. We do everything by obedience. It's the greatest, greatest freedom in the world. <clears throat> to continue with Bishop Sheen now, Archbishop Sheen, it was such poverty of spirit raised to its most sublime peak that made the death of our Lord so easy. He had no ties to earth. 
his treasure was with the Father, and his soul followed the spiritual law of gravitation. Cold like dirt falls. Charity like fire rises. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The death of our Lord on the cross reveals that we are meant to be perpetually dissatisfied here below. If earth were meant to be a paradise, then he who made it would never have taken leave of it on Good Friday. The the commending of the Spirit to the Father was at the same time the refusal to commend it to earth. The completion or fulfillment of life in heaven, it is in heaven, not on earth. Our Lord in his last word is saying that nowhere else can we be satisfied except in God. It is absolutely impossible for us to be perfectly happy here below. Nothing proves, nothing proves this more than disappointment. One might almost say the essence of life is disappointment. We look forward to a position, to marriage, to ownership, to power, to popularity, to wealth. And when we attain them, we have to admit, if we are honest, that they never come up to our expectations. As children, we looked forward to Christmas. When it came and we had our fill of sweets and tested every toy or rocked every doll and then crept into our beds, we said in our own little heart of hearts, somehow or other, it did not quite come up to our expectations. That experience is repeated a thousand times in life. But why is there disappointment? Because when we look forward to a future ideal, we endow it with something of the infinity of the soul. I can imagine a house with 10,000 rooms studded with diamonds and emeralds, but I shall never see one. I can imagine a mountain of gold, but I shall never see one. So with our earthly ideals, we color them with the qualities of our spiritual soul. But when they become realized, they are concrete, cabined, cribbed, confined. A tremendous disproportion thus arises between the ideal we conceived and the reality before us. That disproportion between the infinite and the finite is the cause of disappointment. There is no escaping this fact. We have eternity in our heart, but but time on our hands. The soul demands a heaven, and we get only earth. Our eyes look up to the mountains, but they rest only on the plains. It is easier to strangle our ideals than it is to satisfy them. He who attains his earthly ideal smashes it. Ah, beloved, we'll continue this tomorrow. There's the music for our second break, and we'll have a half hour together um, to take your calls, your texts, your emails, call in toll-free with anything on your heart, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. 
The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. Prayer of Deliverance. Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour together, and you are welcome to call in. Our lines are wide open, toll free, one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at the station of the cross. Com. I'm reminded at the beginning of this half hour every day to tell you about LifeFunder.com. It's the fundraiser that LifeSite News set up for us as we um, try to get a new home. And I'll tell you um, that the guest house, um, we have been able to get that. It's right now being painted, a couple of uh, repairs being made. But we mentioned to you that we've been looking for a large, large house we actually found it. We made an offer on it, and we're not going to accept, close the offer until we inspect it, which is going to happen next week. But we're going to need um, close to a quarter of a million for that house. It's huge, and we'll be able to take in many women. So the Life Funder that LifeSite has set up for us uh, is a 200000 and I just looked now, and it's 42% funded at 84 thousand five hundred um uh which is 42 percent of the two hundred thousand with 12 days to go less than two weeks so beloved um i can't thank all of you it looks 642 of you have donated i just 
love God for you. I can't thank him enough. I read through once a day all your comments, and I see your donations, and I see your names, many of you anonymous, all kinds of donations. You're just so, so, so fantastic. I don't know how I'll ever thank you this side of heaven, but I ask God to reward you a thousandfold. So it's LifeFunder, one word, LifeFunder.com forward slash, then the name of our community, the initials, all caps, D-O-M-M-O-I-H, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. So um, go ahead, anytime, 24-7, you can go on to that site. Um, and I bless you, and I bless God for you. Um, I'm going to take an email. Let's see, we have an email from John. Um, okay, John says, I have a rosary that was recently damaged. It's an older piece, and the crucifix just rusted away before eventually breaking off altogether. My question is this, <clears throat> does the rosary still hold the same reverence now that the crucifix is missing? Will saying the rosary be just as effective as it was before? Dearest John, it will be just as effective, and maybe more so because it's been loved and prayed so much that it that the crucifix uh, fell off and it rusted and fell away. You can put a new crucifix on it or even a used crucifix on it, but if you don't, it will be just as effective. It's a very wonderful rosary to have been loved and prayed so much that it's falling apart. God bless you. You keep that rosary, John, and and pray with it. And again, if you could find a crucifix, even a used one, go ahead and put it on. It'll be just fine. And if you don't have one, it's fine, dear John. God bless you, my brother. We have an email from Christine who says, God bless you, mother. I listen to your program often. I've come to notice the popularization of artificial impregnation among many infertile couples. What does the church say about this issue? If a couple is truly unable to conceive, should they just accept that as God's will? Would it be sinful for that woman to accept an artificial impregnation, even if her husband would ultimately not be the true father of her child, and vice versa? Would the same be true for the use of a surrogate mother? I know this is something many couples struggle with, so I'm looking forward to hearing your insight. Well, my dear one, Christine, it's not my insight, it's the teaching of the church that any child conceived apart from the union of a husband and wife is not uh, allowed by the church, absolutely not. If a husband and wife cannot conceive, there is help for that husband and wife. There are people who understand through methods of natural family planning uh, how to um, perhaps increase the um, uh, the chance, so to speak, uh, for pregnancy. Uh, you know, might be medical issues in the way that could be solved, but outside of that, um, one may not conceive a child through any other means. In fetal in um, in vitro fertilization, surrogate motherhood, all of that. Absolutely not. It's gravely, gravely sinful. Um, uh, 
the church teaches that, um, reading a paragraph here on the Catholic Answers site, techniques that entail the disassociation of husband and wife by the intrusion of a person other than the couple, whether it's donation of sperm or ovum or a surrogate uterus, are gravely immoral. These techniques... Um, artificial insemination, fertilization, all that, infringe the child's right to be born of a father and mother known to him and bound to each other by marriage. They betray the spouse's right to become a father and a mother only through each other. And that is the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, 2376 and 2377 through 79. If God uh, does not allow a couple uh, to become pregnant through their natural union, then yes, uh, try medical ways, try other legitimate ways to uh, um, stop a blockage or undo blockage or whatever it may be. But outside of that, um, yes, accept God's will. And um, uh, there are thousands of children millions of children who are waiting to be adopted. And God may have just been sovereign in your life because he may wish you to, to adopt those children. I, have, I know many children, many couples who have not been able to conceive, they never stop adopting. They adopt four, five, six, 10, 12, 20 children, and they're very happy households. Um, we have an email from Carrie. Uh, Good morning, Mother. I had a question regarding our current time of Lent. Is it a sin to break your Lenten promise? For example, if someone gave up chocolate for Lent and then two weeks in, he or she cheated and ate some, how would the church view this? I see many of my friends who either do this type of thing or never gave something up for Lent at all. How seriously... Does the church take the concept of Lenten promises? Well, I don't believe it's sin. I think it's certainly a fault. It's a weakness. It's a failed intention. But I don't believe that, uh, that it's a sin. If you made a solemn vow somehow to give up chocolate, um, and a priest or a bishop were involved, something like that, there might be sin involved. But if it's just your intention and you just fell into weakness, I would confess that to God. I'm so sorry for breaking my promise, but I don't personally believe it's a sin. Um, um, But it's a good intention. And I think if I made the intention to give up chocolate and I didn't stick with it, I would confess to God my own, my own frailty, my own weakness, my own unwillingness to sacrifice, um, or, or my own unwillingness to give up pleasure. But I don't believe that it would be a sin. And and the 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 thing to do when you don't keep your Lenten promise is to not let it defeat you. Say, Lord, I failed in that. I'm, I'm weak, I'm sorry, I let my flesh take over, but I'm going to start tomorrow. I'm giving up chocolate again, or I'll give up something else. Don't ever let defeat be the final answer. You 
be the final answer and say, take that enemy. I'm not interested in you. Yeah, you won this round, but you're not winning the next. And just go right back to Lent. Um, Okay. Uh, We have a call from Monica on the line. Monica from California. Hi, Monica. Hi, Mother. How are you? Um, I'm okay, sweetheart. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. I have a, I have a question, Mother. Um, I have a coworker that passed away last week, and um, I worked with her many years. Very kind, sweet girl. She was a mother, so uh, I mean, she left two little kids behind, two little children, two little girls, and um, they're having her funeral this this week. And I thought we were not going to be invited because. Of because of all the COVID restrictions, but turns out that they are letting 40 people attend the funeral service. She is Protestant or was Protestant, and they, they, they invited me. Now, I don't know if it's, it's okay for a Catholic to go to a Protestant service. Well... Um, now, she was Catholic as a child, but her parents uh, left mm-hmm. the faith and became mm-hmm. Catholic and became Protestant. So mm-hmm. she became Protestant, not of her own fault, but but she did a lot of times. I worked with her many years, very closely, and with a few other Catholics. And you know, we would have discussions, very you know, peaceful, mm-hmm. kind discussions about the faith, and. We would bring up the Bible, and we were able to prove that, you know, the Catholic Church is the one true church with the Bible, but, you know, she's still rejected. Right. You know, Monica, I would go to that funeral. I don't think it's wrong. You're not going to participate if they have any form of communion. You will not participate in that. You'll let it pass. Is this in a church and the cemetery? No, is that at a mortuary, actually? Yeah, no, I don't think it's a problem. I think you you go, and you go to support uh, the family and friends and coworkers um, to show your respect for her. I think it's just fine. Okay. It, it, it wouldn't Thank be good you. for you. It wouldn't be good for you to go to her Protestant church service along with her. Uh, Although I might do that if I, if someone is looking into the Catholic faith and we may talk about it, that's as a form of evangelization. But I don't think it's a problem for you to go to her funeral at all. Okay. Thank you, Mother. I was just concerned about that and I was in church. I wanted to ask you. Yes. All right. God bless you, Monica. And um, uh, pray for her. Pray for her, for her soul, because um, we never know what God did between uh, in the last few minutes before her death. Yes, I do. I'm, I'm praying for her every day. Yeah, for sure. Okay, sweetheart. God bless you. Thank you, Mother. Thank you, Monica. Um, we have a text from somebody who writes in anonymously and says, if Mary had said no to God, would she have been a sinner? Um, that's what sin is, saying no to God. It is, it's lawlessness. It's saying no to God and to his law. So, of course, she would have been a sinner 
if Mary had said no to God, she would have been a sinner. But of course, she wasn't a sinner. Um, she was born without sin and never sinned. Uh, the church teaches she was capable of sinning, but never did sin. Um, and so, yes, if Mary had said no to God, she absolutely would have been a sinner. But she was not, and she did not say no to God. Um, any more than our Lord said no to God, uh, even to the point of death. Okay, there's the music for our last break, dear ones. Um, and we will... Uh, Take your calls, texts, and emails when we come back. It'll be our last segment, so you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at We'll be right back. Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails and stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is at a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. Beloved, this is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. The Station of the Cross appreciates the generosity of our supporters. We are committed to keeping our donors' accounts up to date. If there have been changes made to your payment information, please call us so that we can update your account. 1-877-888-6279, extension 104. Or update your information online at thestationofthecross.com. Thank you for your generous support of Catholic Radio. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. 
Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, dear ones. This is our last segment. So um, once again, I'll give out the toll-free number if you wish to call in with anything at all on your heart, one 511 5483 or email at mother at We have a text from Mary who says, When I'm leaving the pew after Mass and I genuflect... I'm rarely, if ever, able to touch my knee to the ground. I'm older now, and my knees don't bend like they used to. Is this something that would be looked at as a reverence, even if caused by physical limitations? No, dear one. Mary, I can't touch my knees to the ground either anymore. I've got knee problems because I'm older, too. But I I genuflect as low as I can. And uh, if people think that I'm not reverent enough, I have no concern about what they think, but I am genuflecting to our Lord. Don't you worry about it. Don't worry about what people think. Just you give reverence to our Lord as you are able, and that's what he loves. We have an email from Isabel who writes, Is there a difference between saying your prayers out loud and reciting them internally, specifically in terms of reverence and effectiveness? I personally enjoy the quiet because I feel it allows me to place my focus on God, but I often feel awed being the only person in a group who is not reciting the prayer out loud. Isabel, uh, I also um, prefer reciting to myself silently. It's it's not um, it, it's not. Um, difference uh, specifically in terms of reverence or effectiveness it's totally up to the person some people uh, can concentrate concentrate better when they're praying aloud uh, and so they do that to keep focus others feel more intimate with God when they pray internally Uh, there's no uh, there's no proper way Um, if you're praying in a group and they're all praying aloud uh, it's okay, of course, if you can pray aloud, but don't worry about it if you pray internally. It's just not a problem. If everyone's saying, for example, the Our Father aloud, um, you know, perhaps it's good for you to join them, but you don't need to. You don't need to. You do what your heart wishes, and it's perfectly fine, and it's no more or less reverent, dear one. Bill writes, Dear Mother, What do you think is the best way to bring friends and family who happen to be Jewish into communion with Christ? I've spoken with the folks at Jews for Jesus, and they seem very sincere, but I never got to ask them why. If they recognize Yeshua as the Messiah, they do not want to receive the sacraments that he instituted, Bill. Bill, um, Jews for Jesus are extremely sincere and they brought me they led me to christ to begin with uh, when i became an evangelical protestant before i was catholic 18 years before i was catholic they're extremely sincere but they're not catholic they are evangelical protestants for the most part and they do not believe in the sacraments they believe in certain ordinances as baptism but just as an outward sign of what god has done inwardly they don't believe in the sacraments they don't believe that god gives grace through the sacraments at all so they're truly protestant um uh and uh again 
um, they wouldn't believe that uh, and wouldn't want to receive them unless they were brought in to the fullness of the faith and the full measure of Judaism in the Catholic Church. The best way to witness to Jewish people, family, strangers, anyone, is to do what I've said so many times, live as if it's true. The Jewish person will not care what you say if your life doesn't witness to it. If you say you go to church on Sunday and yet they see you going to the beach in the summer and wearing thongs, uh, they'll say, well, I thought you were a Catholic or I thought you were a Christian. What are you doing going to the beach? And if you say, well, I go most of the times, you know, but they're not going to be interested. If your faith does not ring true to everything you say, if they see a single contradiction, they're not going to be interested in what you believe. They're practical. And they will say to you, I don't care what you believe. I don't care what you say. I'm going to tell you what you believe by what I observe from your life. That's what you believe. And they're absolutely true. So the best way you can evangelize Jewish people is, again, to live as if it's true, because it is true. And if you live as if it's true, and you live your faith in the world, and you're in the world and not of it, you will stand out. And the Apostle Paul says, in that way, we will make the Jewish people jealous because we have their Messiah, and they will want him. They will want to find out what makes you tick, and you'll say it's your Messiah, Yeshua. We have a text from someone who writes in anonymously and says, Mother, is it right for a nine-year-old to receive communion and confirmation at the same time? Thank you. 100% yes. Absolutely yes. Um, And in the Eastern Rite, an infant receives communion and confirmation at the same time. Um, In the Catholic Rite, in the Western Church, the Latin Rite, it's fine if it's fine according to the bishop. Absolutely, the bishop needs to okay that. I have a text from someone who writes in anonymously and says, My son-in-law is doing an RCIA program. Last evening they talked about giving to others, and he said, Why should I work so hard then just to give it away to someone who might be lazy? I didn't know how to answer him. Well, the point is, God requires us to give to others. He requires us to give to the poor. He does not make us responsible for what the poor does with what they give, we give him, with what they give them. We are required to give to the poor. We are required to give to those who have nothing or than have less than us. We are required to give to God in our worship, our churches. Um, but again, uh, throughout all of Scripture... Throughout all the Old Testament, God told his people Israel, when you glean your land, leave, leave the, the fruit of your crops all the way around the edge so the foreigner can come and glean from the edge of your land. Leave enough for the poor. Now, you're not responsible for what the poor does with it, but you are to give to the poor because we have nothing that we haven't received. And when God gives us what he gives us, it could be money, it could be food, it could be material items. It's not for us to keep, but for us to give away, always to give away a minimum of a portion, a minimum of 10%. And in the Old Testament, it was 30%. So um, 
tell your son-in-law that giving is how we follow our Lord, who didn't give uh, based on what we would do with his life. He gave to the death. He gave his life by dying for us, even if we throw that grace away and squander it. He gave it to us, not based on our faith, not based on what we would do with it, not based on our even giving it to others um, to tell them of the Savior. Um, He wasted his love on us. He was a spendthrift, and he was prodigal. God's prodigal love that he poured out on us sinners who have in turn spit on him and nailed him to the cross. If your son-in-law comes into the church, he needs to follow Christ and give away everything, including his life, for God who gave us all for him. There's our closing music, dear ones. Um, We will be with you tomorrow. Love one another as God in Christ has loved us. God bless you.